You're listening to the NAGRA Podcasters Network. So I was listening to the radio the other day and the jackwad, Evan Sullivan, was talking about the guy who got followed in Giant Tiger. And it was it was an indigenous guy and he got followed around by security. And that's not the story that I want to talk about today. The story that I want to talk about is that Evan Solomon basically ran a segment that said, why does this have to be about race? How do we know that this is about race? And he had a texter and a couple callers all come in and basically four people, including Evan Solomon, said, said, well, why is this always got to be about race? In the heart of the One Dish with One Spoon Treaty Territory, Nagrin's Sean Vanderclis and Carl Dockstader dish on any and all issues from a First Nations perspective. From pipeline politics to poverty to pan-Indianism and more, Sean shares his concrete curve leg take and Carl gives an urban Oneida angle. You are listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network. Because it is about race. <laughs> <laughs> because he's a visible minority, and it just happens to happen every single time a visible minority goes into an inst- uh, institution or a business or whatever the case may be. I mean, if it was an isolated incident, maybe you could make an argument. But uh, no, this happens too frequently to be just about race, right? Just like cop- cops killing black people isn't about race at all either, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. For for those of you who just tuned in, <laughs> we uh, the other voice that you're hearing is Jennifer Doxeter, who is the executive director of the Fortery Native Friendship Center. Though I do believe your views today are your own and do not necessarily reflect the view of the Friendship Center. Or do you want to just give Friendship Center policy <laughs> answers for everything? <laughs> I prefer to just be Jennifer Doxeter today. <laughs> it's, it's a good disclaimer because I say things that don't necessarily reflect on the Niagara Regional Native Center, yeah. shouldn't reflect on the Niagara Regional Native Center. But in our defense, you speak on all Indian people, Carl. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, any one of us can speak for all Indigenous people, right? Is that, I think that's the rule, right? And all Indians are the same. Yep. So, yeah, they, yeah, Evan Solomon, uh, I, I don't know if anybody has followed that issue at all or sort of followed any of the media around it, but but that's, a, that's not that unusual, right? That, that basically a white guy would be accused of following around a native guy. The native guy actually had to tape it to yeah. prove that it was happening, right? Otherwise, mm-hmm. if he doesn't tape that, right, we're not hearing about it. And people, people assume it doesn't happen. Like even if that mm-hmm. incident didn't happen exactly like that, like we all see it, right? The world's different for you as an indigenous person, right? Well, it's different for me as an indigenous woman. Mm-hmm. The first thing really is I can't get my hair cut without being asked about why our people don't pay taxes. <laughs> I'm, I'm there for a haircut, please. <laughs> I don't want to have political conversations while you're actually snipping my hair. Because if I say something wrong, you'll take a chunk yeah. out. <laughs> and then I'll look funny for quite a while afterward. Hmm. But more importantly... I'm never just a human being first. I'm always an indigenous female. And the shock that people actually show that I'm employed, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I go to the bank and, and I actually have, I'm fortunate enough to be in my life where I, where I have a bank balance. Uh, it's not huge, but it's a balance. You know, I, I, I don't have those issues right now. I'm at that point in my life. And the bank teller being shocked. Oh, <laughs> you know, like, are you kidding me uh the grocery store you know i rarely use my status card in a grocery store 
there's a couple different reasons. One is because I have to listen to the people behind me all start muttering about, oh, and I'm taking up their time. But then the other is perhaps the teller is patient or not. The, the clerk is patient or not. And honestly, I'm wondering, uh, why am I using this racist card to justify the use of, of being able to get a few cents off my taxes? Uh, it's, it's a highly political world that, that we live in. And for me, existing in that world, I see it all the time. Uh, from police officers who pay special attention to my vehicle at the border, uh, the first question is, where are you going? And then the next question is, do you have a job? I mean, wow. the, the subtlety of, of the racism and, and that it's so easy. Well, that's a one-off. That's always the response from Caucasian people I find is, it's never, this is horrible. What they say is, oh, well, that was just one person. Well, that's yeah. a lot of one persons in Niagara. Yeah, with with forty nine years of experience and with, oh, thank you, with, you just <laughs> gave away my age. I outed you. So, but but <laughs> with almost half half a century on the earth, and, it's getting worse. And, <laughs> wait a minute, wait. A minute. You're only doing this because you're my brother. <laughs> but there, I mean, if you if you do the math in the fifty ish in age, fifty uh, ish, however many incidences. I mean, you're looking you're looking at thousands and thousands of these types of of microaggression interactions right like if you if over you were the course to, of my life yeah over Absolutely. the course of your life like if you took them Absolutely. and added them all up and you know maybe some of them are innocent maybe some right but just the volume of them and the fact that these things just don't happen to white people they just don't no they don't happen but i am going to say about how things appear I do look younger than you, brother dear. <laughs> <laughs> brother. All right. I well, I want to. I want to jump. I want to <laughs> jump to another thing you said, though, in your comments, and and it's about the status card. I don't. I don't take mine out a lot, and I feel guilty about that because one of the reasons I don't take mine out is is the shame of the stigma of even using it. Right. Again, the look. The look on the cashier's face. The look on the faces of the people around me, and and I. I should know better as somebody that's active. But I don't know where where are you on the stigma of the status card? I whip that thing out. Anytime I can, your status well, card. Yeah, you mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about my card. You're whipping it. You put it on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And say there. It I is. dangle it in their face, <laughs> <laughs> and I say I am not paying taxes. <laughs> um, for for me, it's it's about like I'm a little more fortunate in the fact that maybe I don't need to pull out my status card, but that's not why I do. I do it for the people who who need that discount that need that are financially a little more crippled um and that's why i do it um just because like it's it's if i don't do it then they may not do it you know what i mean mm-hmm. and while i may be a not to, not to say i'm rich or anything i'm not rich i'm far from rich <laughs> but like i have the luxury of not having to do it but i still choose to do it um and to me it's an educational lesson too sorry i'm not speaking properly i'm on a angle but it's education it's education for the cashiers it's educations for the citizens behind me um and honestly i know i'm going to get the questions or i'm i know i'm going to hear the uh the murmurs in the back but i'm i'm happy to educate anybody anytime if they ask why i'm doing this or i do know that about you that's yeah. true no, no I, I, yeah. I do think that's that's commendable though. yeah yeah where, where are you on the status card? Do you always pull it out on every purchase? I don't, actually. And 
It's the same reason that uh, actually I didn't take money for my education because I could see that the times were changing and less and less of our people were being funded for education. So I actually funded my own education myself to leave it for somebody who perhaps uh, actually needed the dollars more than me. And I, I feel good about that decision. But the other thing is that that card is stigmatizing. That is a sign of racist policy that still exists within Canada. So I'm always torn for when I use it. Uh, it's easier for me. There, there is some progress in some national corporations in Canada where they will actually identify me as Indigenous and ask me if I have a card. Now, if we can actually start to get to that point where it's seen as, as a right of Indigenous people without the stigma, oh, do you have your status card on you? I have been asked, uh, for example, Freedom Mobile, when I signed up for, for um, uh, cell card or cell phone, they actually asked me for it so that they could make sure to take the taxes off appropriately. That was an interesting experience. And I thought, oh, wh- why can't more people be like this? Yeah. Where, the, where it's actually uh, corporate policy to, to approve automatically First Nations people to, to have those rights. Yeah, I think, I think it's good. There, there is something key that you spoke to because there is a difference between uh, using the status card, which I, at the end of the day, I don't really think hurts anybody. No. Those little bit of sales tax because we still pay taxes on everything else. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But, but the thing that you said about education, I think, is key because the, there is a finite amount of education resources. And it's another myth about Indians is that we all get all the schooling we want paid for all the time. And the actuality is that in all probability – by not accessing post-secondary funding, you probably did release funding for another Indigenous person to access that funding because it's a more or less a first-come, first-serve with somewhat of a merit-based system on how they distribute those funds. And the amount of Indigenous people has exploded yeah. throughout the course of our lifetimes, especially your lifetime. Um, but the funding hasn't expanded exponentially. <laughs> No, it hasn't. As as the fastest rising population, if you make one more dig at my, <laughs> I'm going to leave you to walk home. <laughs> my sister is my ride today, so I better be nice. <laughs> no, but but as the fastest rising population in Canada, the funds that actually are treaty rights, such as education and health in particular are not keeping up with the actual amounts of our people that are actually being born and in need of those of those treaty guaranteed uh, rights and privileges of being First Nations. And that simple fact. Uh, and and the idea that this actually doesn't co- that this comes out of the average Canadian's tax dollars, I need to tell you that every time you breathe, every time you use water, every time you use land, a portion of those dollars for that use is put into trust for First Nations people. Where the audits need to come in, this has bugged me for so long, the auditing that needs to happen is not of the First Nations community, but of the Indian trust that exists, because that was depleted. They're pretty darn sure that a lot of the roads and bridges that Canadians get to use, not First Nations people, because in a, a lot of our communities we don't even have running water or proper housing, and the poverty is rampant in community on or off reserve of our people. So the money is not coming to us. Where the heck did that money go? Because in the 1970s, that was already $3 trillion. It was supposed to be. Nobody's ever audited that. 
who's auditing the Canadian government on the Indian Trust? Agreed. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that moment where Carl and I just look at each other in the eyes and have no clue what to say. <laughs> no, you, I mean, you, you can't follow up that kind of wisdom yeah. and knowledge. So, yeah. But, I mean, where where are you on on, um, on education then? I mean, it's, it is something that was promised to us yeah. as part of, part of an agreement. And that agreement was that, was that we're going to take all your land yep. and we're going to destroy your lifestyle, yep. but we'll, we will, we will try to give you some of the tools that you will need to be successful in our system. And the most powerful tool I think is, is education at the yep. end of the day. If there's one way that you want to change your life, I think that, I think that getting a good education, whether it's a formal education or whether it's a mentorship under a traditional person or yep. finding some way to access knowledge, I think that's the most fundamental way to make a serious life change. Now that's a promise and a code that the government made with all indigenous people, but they're pretty much reneging on that, right? Yeah. Um, it's supposed to be a guarantee. Like your, your wise sister said, it's supposed to be our fundamental right, the right to, to education. And it's not really, it's turned into a competent competition based system where I'm fighting. Like you said, I'm fighting my cousins. I'm fighting my aunties and uncles and everybody else within my community to receive that, uh, funding. Now I'm, this is my second time through post-secondary and I've used up my, my first allowance. So in curve, like you get one shot, you get a one shot deal. So I'm paying for my second, to degree right now um and that to me that really shouldn't be the case but i don't know what i find interesting is that the fact that ontario just last week so while we were doing the um the decolonizing institutions talk uh, ontario announced yes last week that they are giving the authority to post-second and indigenous run post-secondary institutions the right to provide credentials so you could get a degree from let's say polytech or you could get a diploma from polytech which talk about progressive that's that to me that's a definition of decolonizing institutions yeah and uh i mean i'm i'm totally down with that kind of change but i'm gonna edit out this yeah. awkward pause yeah sorry do 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 I'm trying you're to... doing the editing, so you're going to take out all of my insults against you. Yes, that's definitely. And yes. push back yes. of of have you ever on noticed me for my age. Nobody ever beep. says anything bad about Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Never noticed that in almost thirty episodes. The uh, to I mean to take it back a little bit. The it is good to see that the government is making some inroads, and and I do see the sentiment of many Canadian people changing when it comes to Indigenous people and attitudes around First Nations rights. I'm, I'm hoping that we're at the beginning of what's going to need to be a major paradigm shift that, that just involves equity and equality and things that the Canadians um, uh, have built into the fiber of their culture anyways. But the trick is taking it back to, to Evan Solomon and the media. There's still a lot of privilege there. There to me, when Evan Solomon has, has a bunch of callers call in and say, you know, maybe it's not that the guy was native, that he got followed around again. It's that people don't see the world through our eyes, right? Well, well they choose not to see the world through our eyes. They, they choose to ignore all of the evidence that actually would talk about issues of racism. Yesterday, when at the at the anti-racism summit in Toronto that we were at, again put on by the province of Ontario, I was listening to a conversation actually where a black Canadian woman was talking to a white Canadian woman 
from another area talking about how uh, in her school, her children's lockers had spray painted on it. Uh, we don't like black people go home. And the conversation at the school was, is that a hate crime? The woman from the other area said, absolutely. She oversaw that. She said, the problem actually is that those things are happening in her district as well. And when the administrators are calling her and saying, oh, well, this has happened. And so, well, I suspended the students, da-da-da-da-da. Her response back to them is, did you call the police and report this as a hate crime? What? That's a hate crime? Uh, yeah, it is a hate crime. Uh, so, so the definition needs to be extremely clear about what is hateful, which is, which is incredibly sad. Uh, why is one incident okay? Why is that one-off incident okay in, in Caucasian minds, in the broader society's minds? And it's not just the broader society. It translates into much. I was, again, at this summit, and there was, uh, there was an Indigenous presenter in the area of education. I had a valid question to ask. My hand was up first. The actual moderators of the discussion at an anti-racism summit chose the white man first, the white woman second, chose an indigenous, indigenous woman third, and I was last, and actually told me I couldn't speak. Well, you know me well enough how well I took that. <laughs> I actually said, wait a minute, I have a question. And it was a systemic question, because that's the way that I think. I'm here to work on systemic issues of racism and exclusion to bring a more inclusive society and I had to push my way through to the point that I know that I was rude. I didn't want to be that way, but the question I was asking was not just my question. It's on behalf of all of our people. Those are the types of questions, and I don't have silly questions by and large that I ask. And that unpacks a lot of stuff. There, for Again, for listeners that, that don't know, to give a little bit of context, the, this episode was taped the day after Ontario had its first ever anti-racism directorate meeting where they brought voices from across the province to talk about racism and to acknowledge the fact that in order to stop racism, multiculturalism isn't enough, diversity isn't enough, assimilation is is a failed and flawed concept. So what you need to do is, is you need to empower these voices and so Ontario actually organized through the anti-racism directorate a conference yesterday to bring a lot of these voices together but uh and it I I first off I want to commend the government of Ontario for recognizing this as an issue I want to uh encourage them to continue to dedicate resources towards this but I think that the the story that we just heard speaks to the fact that there's just not enough space for non-white male voices out there in the universe, right? Like Evan Solomon gets gets three, four hours a day every weekday to continue to share the the old rich white guy perspective, right? And then we get one conference one time one day and our 30 minute a week podcast to share our perspective. So thank you for getting this far into this podcast. <laughs> but how do you feel about the amount of space we get in public to express ourselves? Uh, well, I mean, obviously it's not enough. We have... A lot to say and we're given very limited resources to do so um for me the answer though isn't going to be like i mean education is a, is a very crucial and very important part of it but what it's going to take is it's going to take those that 50 or 60 years to where our numbers are are, are equal to 
um, Canadians, right? We are a minority. And that's quite honestly, that's why we're overlooked. They do not think about racism because they, it's not in their lives. They don't see racism because it doesn't happen to them. Um, we see it all the time. This is our, our lived experiences. This is our worldview that is shaped by, for the most part, their actions and their, their responses to us. So, I mean, educate all you want, but unless you actually use those tools, then it's never, it's never going to really change until our numbers, numbers equal theirs, in my opinion. Um, and like, like you're, like you said, we have to, we have to force our way through to the microphone. We have to ensure that our voices do get heard, um, regardless of, of what people may think of us. Call us pushy, call us ignorant, call us whatever you need to, but that's that's what we have to do to ensure voices get heard so well mostly they they end up telling me that i'm pretty forthright yeah (laughs) and and they seem to appreciate that in general uh but again i'm i'm lucky to be in a position and and when i do have the microphone uh not so much in a podcast so thank you very much for my very own space this is very cool Uh, he told me you bite so i sat over here (laughs) (laughs) oh no not you too But I know that when I speak, you know, you mentioned earlier uh, that representing all Indigenous people, that's a burden also for for a lot of our people who do have the strength to be able to get to the microphone, get to the ministries, get to the policy people, get to the politicians, is we know when we have those opportunities, we're not just speaking on our own behalf. Right. We are speaking on the behalf on behalf of so many of our people who don't have those voices, and that's a tremendous burden to carry as well. There will come. I look forward to the day when we can actually be human first. That is my overall overall goal in terms of everything that I do. I'd like us to be human first. But again, our population rose by forty one percent in the last census, yeah. so we're getting there. We're getting there, and we're getting there fast. Well, I I do think that, I mean, things will shift as the population changes. One of the dialogues yesterday was about the fact that visible minority is now becoming an incorrect term in a lot of urban settings because racialized people are starting to outnumber non-racialized people. So therefore they're not, they're not the minority anymore. So I do, I do think that's part of it, but, but another part of it is, is the responsibility of people in decision-making capacity to, to make different decisions, right? Like when, when I heard the evidence, and Solomon's story and I didn't you know I don't know is he a right wing kind of guy like maybe you know I could just put him in that category or whatever uh you know I don't know if if that's how he goes but but he had the opportunity to report on the story in a number of different ways and that's that's what a lot of the media personalities were were talking about at the anti-racism uh directorate meeting yesterday is that another way to look at that story is like good good on this indigenous person for being like Sean in the line and saying here's my status card. You know, this guy said, yeah, I'm going to be proactive and Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to complain about these people following me around. I'm going to, I'm going to prove it and I'm going to show the world and I'm going to take this opportunity to affect some positive change. And if a host like Evan Solomon does a lead in like that, 
and says, you know, kind of, and that's actually a hats off to CKTB, our, our local sort of mainstream, you know, the, the big guys or whatever <laughs> hats off to them. Because when they talked about it on the round table, when mayor Senzik talked about it on the round table, like that's, that's the angle they took was that, you know, what a shame that this is happening, but good on this, you know, good on this person for exposing this issue. And, yeah. and again, let's take this as an opportunity to look at ourselves and see how we can positively change as opposed to choosing to take four callers in a row that say, well, is it really racism? Is it really like it just it just happened to be a white guy and it just happened to be a native guy and and it it was racism yeah and yes, it, was it was choice um, but if you're into choices one of the things you can choose to do is listen to the other great podcasts that we have right here on the Naga Podcasters Network. Hey, this is Trevor from Niagara Podcasters Network. A healthy community has many sources of news and information. Here at NPN, we're creating locally sourced, locally produced news content, and we're excited to tell you about The Regional, our first program on NPN News. The Regional is a weekly news show that's a political potpourri. It's a municipal menagerie. It is a local smorgasbord of interviews, panel discussions, and in-depth analysis. You can find The Regional by looking for it in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the podcast app of your choice. Or you can find us on niagarapodcasters.org slash regional. The Regional, Niagara's news magazine, only on Niagara Podcasters so Network. off of CBC for ethics, mm-hmm. but Bell picked him up because he's, he's known, he's a yeah. name. And I guess he's interesting, though. I don't, I don't listen to CKTV in the four hours that they um that they simulcast non-local media so we're back i hope you enjoyed that clip from that other wonderful show that i won't name because i'm not sure which one i edited in yet (laughs) it's a surprise even to us (laughs) we have a thing on our show that that we like to end every show with called the traveling thought what is the traveling thought sean it is where i get to talk for five minutes uninterrupted you all have to listen. Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Pen and paper, take notes. Exactly. <laughs> Wake uh, up the kids. Exactly. Up the kids. Santa is here, guys. <laughs> um, so a traveling thought is a playoff on the traveling song that happens at most powwows or ceremonies from uh, the Anishinaabe people. And what it's designed to do is send people off in well wishes and good spirits. Um, so Carl came up with this brilliant idea to incorporate it into our show. So what we do is kind of our last spiel of uh of the day what we want you guys to take home from us so we also usually like to give the opportunity to our guest to be the first one to share their traveling thought so we've been we've been talking about race we've been talking about power we've been talking about privilege and we've been talking about how important it is for people like you to use that space to take it up I have to say that the governments are actually listening. Ministries are actually listening. There is some policy that's coming down. I've seen it shift firsthand uh, from from the previous government to this government. I'm I'm encouraged, and I hope that this is not just a moment in time, but that we've actually made some positive shift towards some actual change. And I still stand by that if we can learn to get it right with Indigenous people, everyone in Canada will benefit. Well said. That was amazing. That was fantastic. What do you got for us today, Sean? Uh, lots. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, nothing at all. Um, <laughs> My traveling thought is, I need a bathroom break. <laughs> exactly. I'll see you guys in five minutes. Carl, go. <laughs> 
Uh, my traveling thought is essentially that racism is alive. Racism is flourishing, and it's it's very prominent in all assets or all facets of of mainstream media. We see it on the internet. We see it on the news. We we live it in our daily lives. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't create positive change and positive. Uh, have have a positive effect on society um like mrs doxator said we we have the capability to do so so we must um i guess my traveling thought would be to follow in her footsteps and keep fighting that good fight boom mic drop that yep. was awesome can i actually drop the mic i don't think we can they're no. attached to things here okay damn it trevor always <laughs> holding us back <laughs> just kidding just kidding trevor doesn't have a mic he can't say anything this episode no we we meant to pick on him more stay tuned we'll yeah. find a way so my tra- my traveling thought for the day is that when you when you do have the public space it's important to use it wide wisely remember the fact that indigenous people are people too so evan solomon do better be better Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> to use a shaunism. Yes. To use a shaunism. Hashtag. I love it. Yeah. Do better. Do better. Be Hashtag better. Hashtag be better. Yep. Hashtag Sean rules. Yeah. That's all I got this week. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to One Dish, One Mike right here on the Niagara Podcasters Network here at the Pop-Up Podcast Studio at Cowork Niagara, home of Niagara's independent workforce. Love you guys. Nagitwa. Thanks for listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network. Your hosts are Carl Dockstader and Sean Vanderpuss. Recording is done at Pop-Up Podcast Studio at Cowork Niagara, home of Niagara's independent workforce. Executive producer is Trevor Twining. Production assistance by Daniel Twining. Show artwork by Mitch Baird. Music by DJ Shub, used with permission. If you have show ideas or comments, you can reach us on Twitter at Niagara Podcasts. <laughs>